Pro wrestling fans, welcome to this week's edition of Dork Side of the Ring. It's the podcast where your nerdy obsession with professional wrestling is not only tolerated, it is celebrated. I am Matt Marbury, and with me at the table is nobody. Um, Adam, once again, out this week. He had a, a bit of a, remember two weeks ago, he was waiting on COVID results. Um, they were inconclusive. And apparently now he's he's definitely got it, he says. I think he might be entertaining offers from another podcast. Uh, something about working less dates for guaranteed money. I don't some Maybe I've just been listening to too much of uh, the Kevin Nash podcast. But anyways, he'll have to put his notice in here. And, if he, and when he does, I will call up my buddy Hunter and we will bury his ass on his way out. Uh, but no, we do miss Adam. He will, I'm sure he'll be here next week. And uh, hopefully from then on out, he's, you know, he's immune for this COVID shit. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. But as we sit down at the table today, we being me, myself, and I, it is July the 13th, 2022. And on this day in pro wrestling history. All right, 1982, Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito defeat Chief J and Jules Strongbow for the WWF World Tag Team title in Allentown, Pennsylvania, started their second reign. And that got me thinking, I have literally never seen Mr. Fuji wrestle. Uh, saw him you know, so many times as a manager, first with Demolition, then later on with Yokozuna. Um, but I've never actually seen a Mr. Fuji wrestling match. 1988, the WWF taped the 100th episode of Superstars from the Lacrosse Center in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Uh, the featured bout, the Powers of Pain defeated Rick Gantner and Frankie DeFalco, which um, if you're in the area, you know Frankie DeFalco runs Bruce City Wrestling out of Milwaukee. I just thought that was kind of funny to see his name pop up here. 1991, the Lightning Kid, Sean Waltman, defeats Jerry Lynn in Dallas, Texas to win a tournament to crown the very first Global Wrestling Federation light heavyweight champion. Um, I don't know about you guys, but they used to play Global on ESPN uh, when we were kids. Sometimes it was weird. Sometimes it would be like really late at night, but there was also other times where it would be like 3 in the afternoon. You'd just flip it on like Global Wrestling's on. Uh, probably when ESPN started to expand when they had like ESPN two and then they had ESPN, you know, the Ocho. No, that's not true, but <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Uh, 1995 wild Pegasus, who was Chris Benoit defeated Shinjiro Otani to win the finals of new Japan's best of the super junior tournament. Uh, Chris Benoit would defeat black tiger, who was Eddie Guerrero to get into the finals and I think this is his second. I'm not 100%. He definitely won the best of the Super Juniors twice. I think this is the second one. It's got to be timeline-wise. Um, 1996, Extreme Championship Wrestling held Heat Wave 96 at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Show featured Shane Douglas winning the TV title in an elimination match that included Chris Jericho. 
who was in his final appearance for the company. He would debut in WCW about a month later. 1997, WCW's Bash at the Beach pay-per-view was held at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. Not as impactful as the the 1996 show, you know, when the third man was uh, introduced as Hulk Hogan. But it did feature Kevin Sullivan's final WCW match and the in-ring debut of Dennis Rodman. The Steiner brothers also defeated the great Muda and Masahiro Chono. And Scott Hall teamed with Randy Savage to beat Diamond Dallas Page and Kurt Henning. So that's pretty, that's pretty fun. 1997, Doomsday defeats Spellbinder for the USWA Southern Heavyweight title in Memphis, Tennessee, ending Spellbinder's second run with the belt. Uh, Doomsday is uh, Glenn Jacobs, Kane. 2005, Matt Hardy called into WWE.com's Bite This show. Uh, confronting, that's in quotes, Lita as to why she left him for Adam Copeland. He called him called Edge Adam Copeland right on the air. They were trying to get a little edgy at this time, blur the lines, if you will. Uh, the two would then go on to have a whole conversation about it. Matt Hardy was fired, but I guess he came back. Uh, the previous Raw made like a run-in. Obviously, he was back signed with the company, but they kind of they kind of went with this storyline that you know he was he was fired and he kind of went rogue or whatever. But I don't know. It's kind of like a little bit of a shoot style interview, and it was a it wasn't just audio, you know, it was video, so you could like see Lita. You could tell she was kind of uncomfortable with the whole with the whole thing or whatever. And Matt Hardy's just on the phone, um, but I don't think she wanted her personal business drug out like that, but. Far be it from uh, the WWE to give a fuck what you think. 2007, memorial services for Nancy Benoit and her son Daniel were held in Daytona Beach, Florida. Subsequently, several in the wrestling community appear on various news outlets, um, including Ken Anderson and Terry Runnels. And they both kind of had differing opinions on the whole thing. Like Ken Anderson's like, well, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff around Chris Benoit centered on CTE and like roid rage and things like that, like the steroids. Um, he was kind of downplaying that, and then Terry on another news channel is saying like, "I watched guys, you know, have a have a duel as to how many somas they could take in a sitting, and like I've I've seen people just like pass out in front of me. Like drug problems were definitely rampant uh, in the in the WWF at this time. I don't know if it was so much steroids, but there was definitely an issue." 2007, same day, court documents indicated that the trademark infringement lawsuit brought by former WCW world champion Diamond Dallas Page against hip-hop mogul Jay-Z was close to a settlement. Um, this kind of struck me as, you know, what, what the hell would they be arguing over? Um, it's basically that diamond hand signal that Jay-Z used. I think he even had an album cover with it on there. And Diamond Dallas obviously has been using it forever, and it was settled out of court, undisclosed. There's not—I don't think you can find out how much money changed hands. But Jay Z had to pay up to old DDP uh, for using that diamond hand signal. Apparently, Diamond Dallas Page, pretty savvy individual to be able to even trademark a, a hand gesture. 2008. TNA held their Victory Road pay per view in Orlando, Florida. A couple results from this one. LAX, which was Homicide and Hernandez, defeated Beer Money in a Lumberjack match for the tag titles. Samoa Joe fought Booker T to a no contest to retain the world title. And Team 3D with Kurt Angle 
defeated AJ Styles, Rhino, and Christian in a full metal mayhem match. And I have no fucking idea what that is. And I included it in this news because Adam's usually good with this uh, this TNA stipulation stuff. I can throw one of these out here and be like, dude, I know what that is. Um, so we're missing you, Adam. 2015 NXT Women's Champion Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch all make their main roster debuts. Nine months later, the three would challenge one another in a triple threat at WrestleMania 32 for the new Women's Championship. Remember, um, in the pre-show, the aforementioned Lita came out and unveiled the new Women's Championship. They were going to do away with the Divas Championship. Uh, Charlotte won that and thus was the last Divas Champion and the first WWE Women's Champion. Um, I looked it up. Between just those three, Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky... 25 world championships between them, not counting NXT. We're counting, we're just talking main roster championships. And I think it's like, it's not even close. It's like Charlotte with 13, Becky and uh, Sasha each with six or something like that. But it's crazy. Birthdays, we got Sean Waltman. He is turning 50 today. Necro Butcher right on his heels at 49. And Jake Crist who I wasn't that familiar with, but he's a TNA guy. Uh, He is 38 today. It's now time for the Retro Raw Review. All right, this is the July 13th, 1998 episode. We are in the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. This show is going to start with the showstopper, HBK, who we haven't seen since he lost to Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14. He's heading out first. Uh, Remember, he has a back injury. Uh, He took a seat with JR and the King at the commentary table. Funny um, little sidebar to this. So we have not seen Shawn Michaels in a wrestling ring since WrestleMania 14 when he lost to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I literally just said that. We will not see him in a wrestling ring again until WCW's done for like over a year, maybe even two, and Kevin Nash comes back to WWE. Literally the next time that Shawn Michaels is in a WWE ring, Kevin Nash is also in that ring. It's a tag team match, and that just tells you how fucking long he was out with that back injury. It's insane. Match number one, we got The Undertaker versus Vader. Uh, There's a, oh shit. There was a little miscue as The Undertaker was getting in the ring. He raised his hands and then brought them down to bring the lights up. Uh, But some of like Kane's pyro went off right in his fucking face, right from the corner. And he's really lucky that that wasn't worse. Like he had to get his head out of the way real fucking quick. Uh, Kane, Mankind, and Paul Bearer also had to ringside. They're going to watch this match. Jim Ross and the King keep asking Undertaker if Undertaker and Kane are in cahoots uh, because of the way how last week ended. How did Taker get his gear last week? How did he pull off that ruse? I don't know. It's a pretty fun match. Vader hits a huge splash on Taker. Undertaker gets the choke slam and the tombstone for the win. After that, uh, Mankind hops in the ring with a chair, but Kane stops him from hitting the Undertaker. So we're kind of left with a, you know, a few more questions than we have answers at this point. We don't know what the deal is with this Undertaker-Kane storyline. We know Kane, well, we know Undertaker didn't want to fight Kane. They're brothers and all. 
Um, but now it seems like they're kind of looking out for each other, which is a little strange. Match number two, we got Bart Gunn versus Bob Holly, and this is a brawl for all first round match. These guys are the new Midnight Express currently on the roster, so they are a tag team. They're doing battle here. It goes the distance. Bart dominated, earned the decision. They do set up kind of an angle afterwards uh, when Bob refused to shake hands and instead punch Bart, and they kind of have a little scrum. Some officials break things up. Um, but that just kind of goes to show, like, was this all real? Um, I, I, you know, I don't like to throw around industry terms. I'm not really in the industry or anything like that. But you hear that term work shoot where it's like kind of a hat. Like it was, there was some stuff that was actually planned during this. I don't know if they cared. Maybe they didn't give a rip who, who won, but they wanted the loser to like not shake hands with the winner or something like that. There were definitely things like that going on. Then we go to the announce table to see that Jason Sensation is sitting in. They're asking him to do some of his impressions, and I totally did not realize it, but the Raw last week had that whole segment removed where DX was mocking the nation. Um, X-Pac is in full blackface with his Ms. Ark Henry shirt. Um, Jason Sensation was portraying Owen Hart, of course, with his plastic uh, nose and all that stuff. We didn't, we did not even realize that, but that was actually the show last week. Um, they go backstage. We see all the nation members. They're very upset over the bit. Owen says that he's going to march down and slap the shit out of Jason sensation, uh, which he does. He marches right on down there and actually just slaps the guy. DX then makes the save match. Number three, we got the rock and Owen Hart versus triple H and X-Pac. Chaos to start this thing. Um, I did hear at one point HBK say something like the shit, this shit's about to go down. And they actually were, were because it was a chaos and Owen Hart was battling one of the guys on the outside. You could actually see Shawn Michaels, like put his hand over his mouth. Like, Oh my God, I messed that up. I'm, I'm surprised they like let it slip through now that they've actually been combing through the footage again, but it was, it was definitely on there. Um, after things got under control, it was a pretty good match. X-Pac pinned the rock after an X-Factor, uh, which is a, it's a big win for old for old X-Pac here. Sable's up next to sit in on commentary for match number four, which was Mark Merrill versus Steve Blackman. <clears throat> tons, of, tons of Sable chants throughout the match. The whole purpose was to pump up the whole bikini contest between the, the two gals coming up at Judgment Day, I believe it is. I think that's what we're working towards, a little judgment day. Match number five, we got the New Age Outlaws versus Kane and Mankind, and this is for the tag titles. Remember, Kane and Mankind won that tag team battle royal, I don't know, probably three, four weeks ago now. So this is their shot. They're finally get there. Um, Undertaker heads to the ring. He's just going to observe, which kind of uh, furthers the storyline. He doesn't get involved. There was some fuckery, of course, though. The Nation... At least a couple of them come down to the ramp to distract. D'Lo came out of the crowd, delivered a frog splash with that chest protector to Road Dog. Uh, Kane then scooped him up for the tombstone, hit the one, two, three. We got new tag team champions. DX, they are livid. Um, they're, are, they're barking at the referee. The referee didn't see what happened, so he just he's just there to count what he sees. Back from the break, we see Triple H talking to Vince McMahon in the locker room area about the New Age Outlaws getting screwed out of their titles. And Vince says uh, that he'll address it. He's going to look into it. Match number six, Too Much and Taka Michinoku. So that's 
uh, Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor versus uh, and Taka versus uh, Kai and Tai with Mr. Yamaguchi-san. And this thing, <clears throat> this thing goes on way too long. Uh, referee Earl Hebner had one hell of a time trying to keep order. Eventually, things break down between Taka and Too Much. Kai and Tai get the win after a Dick Togo top rope senton. Then Val Venus comes out. He offers an apology to Yamaguchi-san. And uh, to show how sincere the apology is, he's got a little video to show. And it was Val Venus in the sack in a hotel room with Yamaguchi-san's wife. What a piece of shit. And I can't imagine it's going to end well for Val. After that, we got Mr. McMahon heading to the ring. He brings out The Undertaker. Vince calls Taker the most twisted, sadistic individual in the WWF. He runs down all the things Taker has done to harm, uh, trick others to get to the WWF championship. Vince then flat out asks the dead man if he's in cahoots with Kane. Uh, Taker, t- <laughs> Taker tells him to go to hell. <laughs> that's, that's all he says. Glass breaks. Stone Cold Steve Austin's out. He wants to know if uh, at fully loaded because it's supposed to be Undertaker and Austin versus Kane and Mankind. Austin wants to know that if at fully loaded, it's going to be those, you know, a two on two, or if it's going to be Austin against three and Taker tells Steve, he can go to hell with Vince. DX then head to the ring. Triple H gets in Vince's face and says that he'll make the, he's basically ordering him to make the tag team title rematch tonight. And Vince totally looks poised to say no. Uh, But Hunter kind of sweetens the pot. Uh, He says that if he makes this match, they're going to find out if Taker and Kane are in cahoots because Hunter wants three officials for the match, one in the ring and two enforcers on the outside, those being Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince loves this idea. Like he's, He's smiling ear to ear. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker, not so much. Match number seven, we got the Godfather versus Dan the Beast Severn, and this is another brawl for all first round match. It's a it's a pretty tough draw for Godfather. I mean, he's a big guy, but Dan Severn's a trained MMA fighter. It was a really strange match, though. Uh, Dan refused to get off of a Godfather after the first round. Um, he's like ignoring the referee constantly, and this this whole thing kind of felt like a storyline or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, there was also a a real loud pronounced "We want wrestling" chant that broke out between rounds two and three. Um, I th- I think this is the worst one we've seen. Dan Severn got the win via decision, even though the referee like was constantly chastising him for not listening to the rules. I don't know. Match number eight is your main event. It's the New Age Outlaws versus Kane and Mankind for the tag team titles with Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin out here as enforcers. Stone Cold Steve Austin brought a cooler of cold ones. We're all wondering if Undertaker's going to tip his hand as to whether or not he's with Kane. Well into the match, referee Mike Chioda gets taken out by a splash in the corner. Austin hops in to make the count when Road Dogg had Kane pinned, but Undertaker pulls him out. Uh, Steve does the same to Taker a little bit later. Kane then attacks Austin. Taker attacks Mankind. All of a sudden, the whole ring is filled with Nation of Domination, DX members, 
The show goes off the air amidst pure pandemonium. Uh, we never really did get a result as far as that match goes. Sign of the times. No, oh, I like to go back and forth with Adam on this too. Sign of the times. Uh, I'm going to skip that one. The Undertaker killed Kenny, which I kind of like. I always like all the South Park references. Give me head or give me death was was pretty funny. Uh, get well soon, Mike Awesome. I don't know what Mike Awesome's going through at this time, but get well, Mike Awesome. I know he's not with us anymore. Um, tones 316, which I like to think in my heart is a nod to the Deftones. Uh, then one lady in the front row, she had a two-sider, and she was poised for both of these Brawl for All matches because during the first one, she was holding it up, and it says, Bob Holly makes me melancholy. And she's got a theme. She goes with the, the rhyme scheme on the other one, too. Comma puts me in a coma. I guess it's not rhyming is more it is alliteration i guess but i don't know either way that's all i got for sign of the times um can't wait for next week's retro raw review next up it's time to go into the dorkness it's a news segment it's a part of the show where we talk about what's coming your way in the world of wrestling figures and collectibles we also discuss any items that have recently made their way into our personal collections. All right. Well, we have San Diego Comic-Con right around the corner. There's definitely some stuff to talk about there. But first and foremost, I hope you scored one of the 200 sets of the Inspiration Micro Brawlers that Pro Wrestling Tees dropped this past Friday. Uh, they were gone in less than 30 minutes. And it was one of those where... You know, me and Adam, we always take turns on on who gets the the brawlers. Uh, things kind of go out the window sometimes. Like, for instance, with the Ric Flair thing where they did this, the five-day thing. Uh, we just kind of did our own thing there. Tag teams is something we haven't had to deal with too often. It's been like the Nasty Boys maybe. But the thing is with these limited ones, a lot of times at least they used to only let you purchase one set. And if you tried to purchase two, they would literally refund you the money uh, for the second set. <clears throat> so it was, it was one of these things where it dropped on Friday at noon. And I just, it was my turn. So I just cracked out two of them and I, and uh, I haven't seen them yet, but uh, it was a good thing. Cause Adam said he was a little tied up. So hopefully two sets of the inspiration, they gotta be, I haven't seen anything get canceled. So they gotta be on their way. Ringside Collectibles. They got a Christmas in July sale going on right now. They got basics as low as $2.99. Elites as low as $5.99. And they're not like terrible. Um, A lot of them are guys that have already gone on or something. But I I swear, I think there's like a Drew McIntyre basic for $2.99. Maybe even Elite. Uh, There's definitely like Fiend Bray Wyatt stuff for, for super cheap. So I don't know. Check it out. This, this might be the best sale of the year outside of the Black Friday slash Cyber Monday whole month that they do. Probably clearing out a little inventory to make room for all this new sweet stuff that's going to be announced at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Mattel's going to have their preview day on July 20th, which is a Wednesday. But the info will probably start to trickle out after we record, which is unfortunate. Who knows? Um, maybe next week during the Into the Darkness seg, I'll actually pull out the phone and see if they actually have some stuff um, up there. They did show off their exclusive 
Uh, it's going to be, this is something that people have been asking for for a long time. It's a two-pack of Ultimates from the movie No Holds Barred. So you got Hulk Hogan as Rip, and you got uh, Zeus, uh, Tiny Lister as Zeus. Uh, it looks it looks pretty cool, and and if you're able to attend San Diego Comic Con live yourself, you can actually pick it up in person at the Mattel booth. Um, if not, I think it's going to go on sale. Um, I don't know. I I didn't jot this down. Maybe Friday. Um, but either way, check the social medias. It's going to be on the Mattel Creations website. Limit of two per person. Seventy bucks is what it's going to run you, which isn't crazy. You're getting two ultimates. San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, definitely something people want to watch for. Um, what's weird is, I hate, I hate to even admit this, but I've never seen No Holds Barred. Um, I think it comes out in like 1988, and I, I, re- I don't think I've ever seen it, which is very weird for me to even admit, but hey, I'm going to go ahead and admit it. Um, what else we got? The actual panel... For the Mattel Comic Con is going to be Thursday, July 21st at 1.15 Central. That's going to be hosted by Sam Roberts, scheduled to appear. We got Bill and Steve from Mattel, Tommaso Ciampa, Zelina Vega, and Cody Rhodes. And a lot of times when they get the superstars on the panel, means that they have new figures coming out for them. Uh, I know Ciampa recent, kind of recently had that ringside exclusive. Um. So I'm I'm not sure what would really be in the works for him. I would fancy to say that there's probably an ultimate Cody Rhodes in the works, which would be why we would see him and Zelina Vega. Not I guess maybe it's been a year now since she's had her last elite, but it was a pretty good one. Um, Jazzwares they're also going to have a San Diego Comic Con presence. We have not had a chance to see them, you know, in their final form in a con scenario. They did do like a New York Toy Fair or something like that. Right, you know, it was before they even it was it was basically their launch. Like it was before series one, uh, un unrivaled even came out. But then you know, COVID happens, and and this is the first major convention since then. I can't believe it's been like two years. Um, but so it's going to be kind of cool to see what Jazzwares puts on the table, and it's going to be cool to see all these reveals they've done. They've done their own reveals, you know, at their fan fests and stuff like that ahead of their pay per views. But to see, you know, San Diego Comic-Con is the biggest the biggest thing in the industry, really. It's going to be neat to see what they bring to the table there. I'm super pumped about it. I don't even really have anything. You know, last week we kind of pontificated over what I would like to see Mattel do. Um, I haven't even really thought about AEW is still so new. So it's like, being that I don't really collect the line, I don't really know what I want to see, to to be 100% honest. Um. But yeah, it's going to be cool to see whatever whatever they do. New arrivals, um, we're going to save that until next week. Although, I will tip the bit and just say that I, I made a trade with a, another good brother, uh, Oscar Perez. I shipped off my Micro Brawler Sting Chase, and he sent me the Scott Hall Chase in return. So a big shout out to him. Um, but I'll probably bring that up again next week with the rest of anything that I, that I accumulate uh, which right now is not a lot, but who knows between now and then. Wrestling stew time. Let's get into the stew, shall we? Oh. 
The Wrestling Stew is where we can discuss anything that has hit our wrestling radar since last week. Television, podcast, Twitter, all ingredients are welcome in the Wrestling Stew. I've never seen a fellow yet when you got the thing properly applied that you couldn't uh, make his eyeballs bloodshot for maybe sometimes it can be five or six weeks or so with the red beef. All right, the stew. This is where I really do miss Adam. I like to bounce things off of him. Um, otherwise, it's just me kind of telling you what I watched, what I saw on you know, socials or this or that. But <clears throat> we got to keep this ball rolling. I'm not going to not put out an episode. So here we go. Um, let's go back to last Wednesday after we recorded. I watched AEW Dynamite. That thing kicked off with uh, Wardlow becoming the new TNT champion. I think that was the, it had to happen, right? Like, there was no way he was not going to win that match. Um, I did not think he was just going to decimate Scorpio Sky. He also decimated most of America Top Team, which I thought was was weird that they would even allow that. You know, they're a legitimate fight camp. I don't know if that's correct terminology, but um, Wardlow beat the shit out of a lot of those guys. Matt Hardy interrupted Christian Cage's promo, and boy, did he pay for it. Christian, fuck, man. Christian, I've said it forever, and I think people are finally getting their eyes open to it. The man is so underrated. He is the fucking best. He's so good on the mic. I know a lot of people were not thrilled that he kind of went after Jeff Hardy's demons, but two things. One, I'm sure it was... I'm sure it was, I'm sure they went over it beforehand. I'm sure it just didn't come out of left field. I'm sure Matt or even Jeff signed off on it. And two, I'm sorry, but like you fuck up so many times. It's like, what, nobody can say anything about you fucking up? Bullshit. I think you should be held accountable for it. And the fact that Christian's telling Matt like that he sounds like Jeff's the sober one. And I, it was, I was just fucking dying. Christian's so fucking good. Roosh versus Penta. That match was pretty awesome. Penta had his mask pulled off for like the millionth time. I I swear that guy gets his mask pulled off all the fucking time. Uh, Billy Gunn joined back up with his boys, the ass boys. Clobbered Max Caster before delivering the Famouser to Anthony Bowens. I love how like Anthony didn't quite know what happened. And he's like crawling to his feet. And he like with his last gasp like... Holds the figures out. He wants to do the scissor thing with Billy Gunn. And Billy Gunn just kicks him in the gut and gives him the famous sir. It was great. I love I love that we're turning the acclaimed into baby faces because Max Caster's raps on all the heels is just going to be great. And let's be honest, they were getting super cheered anyways. I mean, they they really weren't bad guys. You know, I mean, they were they were getting fucking over. So if you're gonna get that much of a positive reaction. Go ahead and just just switch it. Mox defeated Brody King. The match was pretty decent. I kind of wanted more out of the match. Um, it seemed a little bit rushed. Plus, I never thought that John Moxley's, despite the fact that it was a good match with a lot of false finishes and stuff, I never thought going into it that John Moxley would really lose in his first defense. You know what I mean? So it just didn't. It just didn't hold me like I, I guess I wanted it to. I don't know. Sometimes things, I've talked about about it on here before, you know. 
when you go into something and your expectations are a little lower, uh, you're pleasantly surprised. Sometimes you go in thinking something's going to be really awesome and it just doesn't live up to the hype that you created in your own head and that's your fault, but um, it just it just hits a little bit different. Rampage on Friday. That thing got going. Eddie Kingston and K- Takeshita. Yeah. Takeshita were already in the ring. Loved this match. Um, it got pretty brutal towards the end with all the strikes and stuff. Eddie won it with that spinning back fist, but then he just like fell on Takeshita. Picked up the win there. Uh, later on in the show, Eddie had another really good backstage promo. Basically, you know, Chris Jericho is still the target. Then we saw um, <coughs> Lee, uh, Lee Moriarty and John Gresham versus the Gates of Agony, who I wasn't really that familiar with. Um, Gresham refused to tag in because, uh, you know, Lee Moriarty wanted out. Gresham just like refused to tag in, started leaving, and then actually left with Tully fucking Blanchard. So it's nice to see Tully doing something other than just managing these Gates of Agony guys. I I, I think that was just like a transitional thing. I think he's just going to be with, I hope he's just going to be with Gresham from now on. I don't even know who those two guys are. Tully, um, Walked out with him, and I think I think I saw a good promo with him afterwards too. Serena Deeb turned on Mercedes Martinez after they won against a couple of enhancement talent gals. So he had two, basically two turns on this show, which is a little weird in an hour, you know. Uh, Orange Cassidy versus Tony Nese in the main event, super good match. I loved early on um, Dan Housen as the lawyer for Orange Cassidy and the best friends. I thought that was that was pretty fun, and the whole it's, it was weird. The whole shtick with this match is, at first I thought they said that if, at first I thought they said if Tony Nese wins, like Swerve Strickland is out of AEW. No. And I was like, well, why isn't, (laughs) I'm like, why isn't uh, Swerve Strickland have a a say in the matter? Uh, But no, it was, if Orange Cassidy lost, he had to sign the petition to get Swerve Strickland removed from the AEW roster. It was a real convoluted thing. Um, hell of a freaking match. Orange Cassidy does go on to win it. Um, yeah, like I said, love that Dan Housen as a lawyer. That was pretty funny. The death match, Jake, match of the week. That's going to return next week. We were going to hop on it this week. Um, actually, you know what? I'm 100% sure Adam will listen to this show. So let me just go ahead. I do have some audio from Deathmatch Jake for this will be the homework. This will be the homework. Deathmatch Jake match of the week. Let's see what he's got. Hey guys, this is Pure Dad. Pure Dad. Thanks for tuning in to Dork Side of the Ring podcast with Matt Marbury and Adam Tellison. And this is your match recommendation for the day. Hello, wrestling fans, and we are back with another match recommendation. And this week, we've got quite the banger, as we're going to AIW's most recent show, Gangsta Rap Made Me Do It, and we're going to the main event with Josh Bishop versus Matthew Justice versus Joey Janela. And this match is literally one of the most violent matches I've seen in a long time that doesn't include glass, barbed wire, or light tubes. Like, you just have to watch this thing (laughs) for yourself. You can find it on IWTV. Check me out at Instagram and at Pure Dad. And I can't wait to see what Matt and Adam have to say about it. 
All right, no glass, no barbed wire, no light tubes. You mean no fun? No, just kidding. I'm sure that's going to be fun. Um, AIW, I think they run out of Cleveland normally. Maybe they travel, but I believe that is a, I believe it's Absolute Intense Wrestling out of Cleveland, Ohio. So we'll check that out. Um, What else do I got on the docket here in the stew? Not a ton. Oh, this Vince McMahon scandal that just keeps going, (laughs) just keeps going. Wall Street Journal, they're now reporting that Vince has paid over $12 million to four different women um, in basically hush money, Um, one of which was a female wrestler whose contract was not renewed in 2005 after being demoted. And you know the internet, they could just go ahead and figure out how many ladies were, were whose contract was not reviewed in 2005, and there was like four or five of them. And then they're like, well, they said they were demoted, so let's check that out. And it turns out that I believe it's Christy Hemi. Um, of course, she's not saying anything. She, you know, she signed an NDA and got paid, I think they said, $7 million for this one. They weren't all like a flat. I know you think like four women for 12 mil. It's not a, it's not a flat rate of four, four million per um, or three million per. Um, but yeah, they kind of sussed it out that like, she got down, demoted down to OVW for a little bit and then let go in 2005. And they're like, that's the only thing that fits that narrative. Uh, but she's not going to say anything, I'm sure. That's going to, you know, go against the the agreement. Um, but, yeah, it's like slimeball behavior, man. It just really sucks. And I can't, you know what sucks even more? is the positive reaction that Vince McMahon seems to be getting every time that he comes out on TV in current day. It's very weird that everybody's just behind this guy. And I, I really do like, I never thought that Vince McMahon would be out of power in the WWE before he was laid six feet under the ground. Um, in this society right now, I can't imagine I can't imagine him like getting through this unscathed. Like I, I really can't. I think he's. I think we're going to see Vince McMahon ousted. I really do. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, Netflix, I guess, had a documentary documentary in post production on Vince McMahon, and I guess they've scrapped the whole thing despite already having spent millions of dollars in it. Like they were already in post-production, like they've already filmed everything. They're down to editing and they're like, fuck this. We're, you know, we're, we're, we just got to throw it away. There's nothing we can do. Like you can't tell that story now, I guess. It's just, it's fucked up. Um, another weird thing, WWE not letting any signs into the arena for raw this last Monday. Like, what the fuck is that all about? I'm, I'm sure it's to combat like the, you know, Vince must go, signs or or whatever they thought they were going to see. I'm not sure, but like, it's so weird. Like that's a, (laughs) if this podcast goes for 24 years, we're going to be fucked. We have no sign of the times at the end of the retro raw. Oh God. Can you imagine me and Adam having to review retro raws from like 2020 (laughs) during the fucking Thunderdome era? Oh my God. We're scrapped. That, that segment's forever scrapped. If that gets to it. Um, yikes. Oh, um, what else did I want to talk? Oh, I wanted to run this by Adam to see this is his guy. Um, click. This is a new podcast 
I'm hoping it's going to be weekly. It's done by Kevin Nash and Sean Oliver, who does a lot of the shoot interviews um, for kayfabe commentaries. He's the one that's okay. He's not the fucking douchebag Rob Feinstein. <clears throat> um, but Monday, the first show dropped on the 11th, and it was on Scott Hall. Although 40 minutes in, I'd yet to hear Scott Hall's name muttered. Um, there was some good stories to come out of it, though. Like, they were just... The first bit was almost more like current events, like, well, what are you, what are you up to lately or this or that, which I, I didn't really care too much for. Um, they got into, like, politics. They got into, like, abortion rights and stuff like that, which is obviously a, a hot-button topic in our, in our culture right now. Um, I liked Nash's stance on it. He's like, you know what? You don't like abortions? Don't fucking get them, but don't worry about the people that do. And I'm like, fucking A, man. Um. There was some fun stories to come out of this, though. Um, they he recalled one time where you know Scott was in once they once they actually kind of got into the Scott Hall stuff. Recalling a time where where Scott Hall was not in a great place, but like Kevin was still kind of looking out for him, and it turns out that Kevin was no showing a, a pay per view in which he was supposed to to uh, lose, I believe, to the Giant. And he's like, he goes, uh, Chris Benoit called me up and said that, Hey, I just, I was overheard some chatter in the office and I think they're going to fire Scott. And he's like, no shit. So he, so he calls Scott and he's like, well, I'm not coming to this pay-per-view and I forget who he had to wrestle. I, I don't remember who Scott had to wrestle, but basically Nash told him you leave, you leave that place on a stretcher. Like insinuating that you're, you fake an injury basically because they won't, then they can't just fire you. If you get hurt on their, on their watch or whatever, they're going to have to at least keep you hanging around. And that's what he did. I guess, I guess the match ends and Scott Hall like wouldn't get off the mat and they had to stretcher him out of there. And it basically saved Scott's job for, you know, I guess till the end of WCW. Um, what else? Did I, oh, there was an awesome story. <laughs> um, they were talking about like, how did X-Pac fit into the fold? Like when did the kid become uh, part of the click? Because Sean basically sees Vinny Vegas wants him to be his heater. And they, they kind of finagle a deal where he basically, Basically, Kevin Nash goes in and tells Ole Anderson that he's done with this wrestling shit, that he's going to go back to just bouncing or whatever, uh, or being a bodyguard or whatever. And um, Ole grants him his release. He takes the release to WWE and uh, gets hired on like that day to be Sean's heater. Um, So Sean and and Kevin are our thickest thieves right from Jump Street, and Sean had already been riding with Scott. So like you got the three there. Hunter doesn't get there until you know, 95 or whatever, but X-Pac was there. Um, and they're asking how, you know, how he kind of came into the fold. And he tells this awesome story about how I think Kurt Henning shaved off one of X-Pac's eyebrows when he was sleeping or when they're all fucked up on a plane or who knows what. And he's like, well, you, the thing about getting one of your eyebrows shaved off is you wake up and it's like, what the fuck do you do? You know, you got one eyebrow shaved off. I guess I got to shave the other one off so that it, so that it matches or whatever. And if you go and look at the 
green card Hasbro one, two, three kid in the artwork on the box or on the, on the card, he has no fucking eyebrows because the day after Kurt did this to him, um, they had like a still photo shoot. And I don't think it was like it is now where they have still photos set up at just about every event. Um, I'm imagining they only did this every once in a while, you know, to get all this reference shots for, you know, magazines or action figures or things of that nature. But apparently Xbox upset about this and he, for some reason, it wasn't, he was he was told it was somebody other than Kurt. I think he was yes, he was told it was uh, Billy Gunn or Bart Gunn, one of the smoking guns. So he lines their cowboy hats with super glue before they're going to go out and to their match on a house show or something. I don't believe this is on TV. Um but they go out there and they're like doing their fucking cap gun thing in the in the ring and they're on the posts and they go to take their fucking hats off and it's stuck to their forehead and they have to like pull their skin off to get it off or something. And Kevin's like, right when I saw that, I was like, that motherfucker. He goes, A, he's riding with us because I like that. And B, he's going to need protection after, after that, which I thought was a fucking great story. And they're, and they're also like, he wouldn't give a fuck. I guess Jim Cornette was running him down for something. He's like, X-Pac goes to a pet store, buys a bunch of frogs, and puts him in the pocket of Jim Cornette's sport coat and then just beats it against the wall, getting all these frog guts in the pot. First of all, who even thinks about that? Um, and then to, to actually pull it off was pretty freaking funny. Um, <laughs> he did have, and this was kind of sad, he did kind of have a detailed rundown on the last days of, of Scott, which was nice to get from you know a friend, a friend's point of view. Um, he basically said that as it did for a lot of people, COVID hit Scott pretty hard being in quarantine and a lot of his friends, he, you could tell, he said by how often he would maintain contact, you know, he'd he'd be like, when Scott's good, I could call him at two in the morning. He'd answer, you know, he'd be sleeping, but he, he would answer the phone. Uh, and when he wasn't good, he wouldn't answer the phone. He'd hit you back a couple later days later with a text. Um, he was basically getting vodka delivered to his house from like the, the, the Chinese, um, he would order Chinese food and he would have him stop off at liquor store next door or whatever. And then that's kind of how he was getting his booze and stuff. Um, Kevin said he was making uh, a pitcher of like crystal light or iced tea or something. He had put the pitcher up against the, the refrigerator door for the ice and a couple cubes, spilled out onto the floor. Uh, Scott, you know, went over to the sink, filled it with water, then was heading back for something else. Slip basically slips on an ice cube, shatters his hip, um, and is laying there for well over a day. And he's passing out from the pain and he's in, he's in a terrible way. Finally does end up getting to his phone, gets, gets, you know, nine one one called or whatever. They bring him in at that point. He had clots and this and that. And um, they got the the hip done. And Kevin was saying something, too, about, like, the hospital he ended up going to. He's like, ah, this fucking hospital is like a two-star or something like that. I don't know. It was just kind of sad. He's like, I know Scott didn't have insurance. And 
Um, you know, he's at a, at a less than stellar medical facility during COVID. It's just not a good, a good scene. And then he ended up having the complications from that and going in, you know, like four heart attacks or whatever. It was on my wife's birthday, um, that he had the heart attacks. That's when I saw the, the stuff start coming in. Um, and then as, as you guys know, like passes away, they took him off the life support and he, and he hung on for like seven hours, which they thought. They, they were told it's going to be 10 minutes at most. And, and he, he hung on for that long, which was, which was, which was good. I, I like to hear it. Um, it was a sad day and, um, God damn it. Sad moment to go out on. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really, I'm about to pull up my phone right now and just like scroll and see if there's anything that, that came through the radar in the last few minutes. So I don't have to end on that, but it looks like I'm probably going to end on that. Oh, I do have, uh, I'm in the works for another t-shirt design over at Pro Wrestling Tees. I would imagine that by the time this show, uh, by the time we sit down next week for this show, I would hope that it would be available. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, Adam just texted me a little bit ago and said that All Out is confirmed to be at the Now Arena outside of Chicago. That is music to my fucking ears. That is an hour drive away from my house. Uh, But you know they're going to build in um, a lot of stuff around that. Last last year, seriously one of the most fun weekends of, of my like wrestling show life, if you will. There was the, you know, the rampage where we sat in the suite with the We Watch Wrestling guys. Shout out to, uh. Maddie and Vince. From there, there was uh, the We Watch Wrestling live show on Saturday. There was GCW shows just about every night. Capped off with All Out on the Sunday. Um, I'm ho- I'm selfishly kind of hoping they don't do a separate rampage, uh, but I kind of think they're gonna. I think they're gonna stick with this format. But anywho, the tickets go on sale. I believe the pre-sale tickets go on sale tomorrow morning. Other than that, it'll probably go on sale on Friday, but I'm just, I'm stoked that All Out's going to be back in Chicago where it belongs. Um, I, I really thought that was going to be the case, but it started getting a little little dicey, and we're not too far out from it. I heard that Ring of Honor's Death, Death Before Dishonor, I mean, as I record this, it's the 13th. That's in 10 days, and tickets just went on sale for that, like, this week. So they must be very confident in the fact that they're going to sell these things out, but... Um, we know they'll fill that place and I know I'll be there and you know where else I'm going to be. I'll be right here next week for another episode of dork side of the ring. Hopefully Adam will be with me. Um, until then enjoy the pro wrestling and survey says another one for the good guy. Give it, give it. Bigger than Jesus, bigger than wrestling, bigger than the Beatles, and bigger than breast implants. Bigger than Jesus, bigger than wrestling, bigger than the Beatles, and bigger than breast implants. Bigger than guns, bigger than cigarettes. 